This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Under Armour All Out Mile. The mile is tough, but you're tougher. That's why Under Armour has a challenge to go all out for 30 days to see if you can break your mile PR. So training starts now. When you sign up, you get a free 30-day training plan. It's free to sign up. You can run your all-out mile anytime between October 1st and October 11th. I'm doing it. You should do it too. Join team All Have Another when you register. Let's make this the biggest team they have. And then the biggest team gets to pick a youth sports charity of their choice for Under Armour to donate $15,000 to. So go to uaalloutmile.com slash allhaveanother and get signed up. All right, today you're listening to episode 335 and I'm talking with Amanda Eccleston. Amanda recently retired. She's a 1500 meter runner and a miler. She actually just ran her very last professional race for now at the Sir Walter Mile. She has a lifetime mile PR of 425. She ran for eight years as a professional with Brooks. Wait till you hear the story about how she got connected with Brooks. And in 2016, she placed fourth in the 1500 meters uh, at the U.S. Olympic trials. I don't know if you guys remember that race, but it was her and Brenda Martinez leaning at the line and She talks about that experience and how to this day it is still one of the highs of her career. She went to Hillsdale College and then to the University of Michigan. And she is now the assistant coach of Central Michigan University Track and Cross Country. So we get to hear about her shift from professional running to focusing on coaching. This was a really enjoyable conversation. And Amanda has so much to offer these college kids that she's coaching. It's going to be really fun to see what she does in her career. Hey, friends, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving us a quick rating interview so that potential new listeners can find us. And if you enjoy this episode, share it with your friends, your family on social media or your text messages, whatever. That would be super helpful in growing this show. And if you are a parent and you're interested in checking out my other podcast, it's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And that's where I talk with everyday parents and experts. And my hope for that podcast is that people that are listening walk away feeling supported, encouraged, and maybe they learn a little something from our guests. So again, that's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? Okay, Enjoy my conversation with Amanda. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Amanda Eccleston on the show. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to have you. Congratulations on the retirement from professional running. Thank you. Yeah, it's still weird using the word retirement. I don't really love that word. (laughs) What do you love? Um, What word do you love? uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe almost like sabbatical. I don't know if, you know, I don't necessarily say I'm going to come back um, or just like transition, you know, like running is still something I love doing and I'm doing so much of. Um, 
and retirement just makes it sound like I'm old and I, you know, <laughs> moving on completely and stuff. So, yeah, it is a weird word to say, but I mean, I guess athletes say it younger than most people. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in most professions, or like yeah, when it's you. Such an interesting. Yeah, I was gonna say when you move professions. Like I interviewed somebody who was just moving from an athletic director to a different job. So he was retiring from being the athletic director, but he was like, I don't know, probably in his late 40s. So he wasn't like professionally retiring. He was just moving to a different career. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny because we are like in our 30s usually when you retire. and um, But it is just like more of a transition to something different. So I think transition maybe is a good word. <laughs> I think so too. Um, I guess let's just start there. What made you decide I want to go on this sabbatical or go start transitioning? I think I've known for a little while that I was kind of getting ready to be done with professional running. I've definitely loved it so much over the past several years. Um, But the last year, year and a half, I think I was losing a little bit of the motivation to make it such a 24-7 lifestyle. Um, Just everything that goes into being the best of the best. And it's like, I know what that takes and what that looks like. And when I'm really enjoying it and really loving it, that's awesome. And that's all I want to do and all I want to focus on. But I've been coaching for several years now and just, I was finding myself more invested and having more fun being with my athletes and seeing them perform well. And I was still loving my own races, but it just kind of, I was starting to realize, wow, I'm at my race. I'm missing my athletes. And I'm actually like bummed to not be able to be there. Um, so some of it was that some of it is just honestly realizing, I don't know if I was ever going to get back to my peak. Mm. Um, and not that that's not a reason to continue, but just making it the center of my life just no longer felt as worthwhile for me. It was something I definitely loved, but I just didn't know if it was worth it at that level anymore. When I'm like, I, I'm not sure I, I realistically see getting back to where I was back in 2016 and 17. And so definitely something I want to keep doing and keep training for fun. I have zero goals right now, though. (laughs) Um, But just realizing that the motivation and maybe the ability and all that to absolutely be as that good again, just wasn't quite there anymore. Mm. You mentioned when you're at your peak 2016, for those listening who might not know, Amanda was fourth place at the Olympic trials in the 1500. And if you do remember that race, now you, now you'll go back and you'll remember it because it was that really dramatic lean at the line with Brenda Martinez. Yeah, that was such an incredible, crazy race. I know a lot of people probably had, didn't know who I was before then. Um, but to me, it was a very, almost like I expected I would be better than that. I thought I would be top three, not saying I, you know, assume it's easy by any means. I just think I had focused so hard that year um, and really, really believed in myself and built up that confidence and put in the training and just really thought I was going to walk away an Olympian. And it wasn't a disappointment necessarily to finish fourth because I knew I ran so well um, and I executed everything perfectly. And it just worked out that I wasn't quite good enough that day. But it was, yeah, it was definitely a lot of emotions. Uh, And in some ways, the highlight of my career, even if it is, you know, just missing such a big goal, but definitely at the same time, still achieving so much more than I ever thought when I was younger. What's that like being, like you said, a lot of people might not have known who you were before that race, but you believed, like you knew you had it in you to be the top three. What's it feel like to be in that kind of position? 
It's yeah, it's really funny because I feel like until that point I had basically been progressing every year. Um, and every goal I set for myself, I was achieving. When I was in high school, I finally got all state my last race. Um, I went to division two for four years. I finally was a national champion there. I went to division one for a year and then we won a relay and I was all American. And then it's like, okay, then I went to the pro level and I had these time goals. And so even though like on that level, I'm sure people are like, what are you thinking? You know, trying to be an Olympian for me, I was like, okay, this is the next step, you know, Mm -hmm. always just trying to aim one step higher. Um, and I think I just, it's, it's funny when you're younger and you do keep seeing continual progress, you almost do feel invincible to some extent in this sport. And it's like, well, I did this. Why can't I just keep continuing to improve and improve and improve? And so it just didn't seem that illogical to me that why can't I be an Olympian? And I think a lot of it is a little bit of like ignorance and not really understanding. And I think that's a great thing, though, you know, being a little bit naive because I'm not concerned what other people do. I didn't really know how hard other people were training because that's nothing I can control. And so I think it was just you know, kind of the naivety of youth. Um, why not me? And then just really believing it day in and day out and seeing progress. Even that year, I saw so much progress that it just seemed like, why not? I feel very, very ready. And I knew who the big players were and I knew they were better than me, but it still was like, well, maybe they'll have an off day or maybe I'll just have a huge breakout day. And so it just seemed really, really possible. Yeah. And especially in like well, in any distance, really, you could say that. But I just feel like there's always so many storylines in the 1500 that happen throughout the race that count. you can't count yourself out ever. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I love about the 15 is I don't think it goes always to the best three if you race nine out of 10 times. Um, you know, the people who should be top three, like it, it varies hugely. Um, and that makes it fun because I think it does give underdogs a shot and it gives you a reason to believe like, hey, if you tactically run this perfectly, if you pace just right for yourself, like you may have a legitimate shot um, depending on how the race plays out and how other people handle that situation. So I think that's really fun with the mid distance races. And it's like if if you watch a lot of the mile races over the summer, they often have very similar athletes and someone different wins every week Mm -hmm. because it's just like that. It's so close that level of talent that just who has a great day, uh, who just runs right and makes their move at the right time. I think that that makes it really fun. And that gives you a reason to keep showing up and being like, well, maybe today is my day. Yeah. I love that. I think I saw you post a couple times about like showing up and believing and having a reason to believe, even if you might be considered what everybody else might think is the underdog. Like if you don't have a reason to believe and you don't believe you're going to be in the top three or whatever it is you want to be, why are you there? Yeah, I think you do have to believe that it's possible. Um, otherwise, I honestly have no idea how you would execute something like that if you if you don't believe. Um, I remember I kind of learned that lesson almost like the hard way when I was in college. Um, my junior year, I was running at the national meet for Division Two, and I ended up finishing fifth. But I was probably about a second off the lead. It was or a second off the win. We kind of were a pack finish. And I walked away being like, oh, my gosh, I actually think I could have won if mm. I had executed. And I was just like it had never crossed my mind before that race that I could win. And I was really mad at myself because I'm like, maybe if you had considered the possibility, you would have tried to. And so, like, then I decided, OK, I'm going to win next year. Like, that is my goal. Wrote it down, told it to my new coach when she came in the next year and then went out and executed. Um, and it's just yeah, I, I think you need to open your mind to those possibilities. And there are people who still surprise win. It happens. But I think 
it's way more likely to happen if you've considered it and then you find yourself, you know, having that opportunity in the race, you've kind of already made that decision and already thought through how will I handle this? You know, how will I take advantage of being ready at the right time? Yeah. Now, what were the like weeks, months, like what was life like after placing fourth then? Like, how did you reconcile your feelings on all that? Right away, it was pretty busy. I immediately went to Europe. I think it was a ridiculous two weeks right after. So the day after I flew home, I had a day off. Then I did like a workout the next day, a workout the day after that too. Then I flew to Europe. Um, I had never been to Europe before. So that was amazing. Uh, I ran my first race PR in Italy and then like flew to Ireland for 48 hours in between and then flew to London. Wow. And then I ran the London Diamond League where I ran my lifetime PR. Nice. Um. So I think in some ways it was just great. I I had time to mentally think about it a little bit, but I was also just like thrown right back into racing and ran the back-to-back PRs. And I think that for me really helped. Just getting really good positive experiences out of that and having so much fun and realizing like, hey, there's more to the sport than just making the Olympic team. And I mean, yeah, I was definitely upset. And I honestly think like for years I probably thought about that race almost every day and not necessarily in a bad way always a lot of it was just I was really really proud that I got that close um and that I ran that well it was just interesting I think um I got so many really cool notes and people reaching out and just I mean for years still get stuff about people like being inspired by that race and so that means a lot um and I think that helped and just putting it in perspective you know like that's honestly, like I had said, that's honestly one of the highlights of my career, even though I didn't quite um, make the team, but just I had zero regrets from it. I know I did everything I absolutely could. And that helped. That's probably the biggest reason I was able to move on is there's nothing I could have done differently. I think if there had been a some kind of error or if I felt like I, I messed up in some way or just didn't quite find 100%, I probably would have had a very hard time moving on. But I feel like it wasn't wasn't that bad, um, you know. And I did honestly, I did think at the time I'd have a really legitimate shot of making it in 2020 or 2021, as it turned out. And that was like a nice motivator too. So let's talk about that then, because I know you went on to battle some injuries, and when you came back, and I, you know, read your posts on once you towed the line at the trials this year, like you knew that your mileage was lower than most people. And like you did what you needed to do to stay healthy. But looking back, you knew that your fitness just wasn't where it was in 2016. So walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. um, It has been a lot of ups and downs since 2016. I think that's shown in my results and performances. Um, I actually was a little bit hurt at the trials in 2016. I had, a tendon tear starting in my post-tib tendon. And I ran on that for about another year. And then I finally had surgery to fix it fall of 2017. And I think in after my doctor discussions and in my head, I'd kind of downplayed the return. Uh, I was also just a little bit worried. I was like, you know, is my contract going to stay? You know, all that stuff. So I was really just like, it'll be fine. It won't be a big deal. Um, It was a really long recovery. Um, I didn't run for about four months after. And then even once I started, I was on the ground for like 10 to 15 minutes twice a week. And then I I got up to about 25 miles and was doing that for a month. And then I started racing, which is way too early. But Mm. I just wasn't, yeah, I just wanted to get back out there and 
compete in the Brooks logo and just be like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm trying. So that was a, uh, that one put me out for quite a while and it took a long time to come back. Um, and then in the spring of 2019, I had some foot issues, took a couple weeks off, but then was in Arizona on a training trip and was just getting back into running and like was moving a table and it flipped over and fell on my toe and I broke my big toe. Oh my that gosh. One, <laughs> that was honestly like almost the worst because I was so like frustrated. Um, then let's see, I got planter in the summer of 2019. I had that for like eight months and I mean, I dealt with it, but it was obviously like up and down. Then right after COVID, I actually got super fit for about the first month after COVID doing a lot of strength work, probably overdid it because then I got a femoral neck stress reaction last, what is that last spring? And then last fall, I started having like patellar tendonitis and had to basically drop to like 10 or 15 miles for like a month. And so by the time that stuff rolled around, I was just like so frustrated with the constant interruptions that I said, I decided like, okay, I know I can stay pretty healthy at 40 to 45. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not quite high enough to be as fit as I need to be. But I was like, mentally, I could not handle another like big step back. And I was just like, well, for my mental health, this is what I have to do. I can get on the starting line, you know, on an on a good day, I could still pull something out and, you know, kind of would just hope the stars would align at the right day. Um, and it, it didn't at the trials, but I was still able to make it based on my performances in the spring. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's tough because I know in 2016, I actually wasn't running that much, but I also had done some incredible workouts and I knew I'd just trained so, so well leading into that. And I was super, super fit. And this time I just was not. Um, and so that's, that's hard lining up when you know you're not at your best and you try not to think about it and you try not to worry because you never know again in the 15, it is unpredictable. Um, but it definitely was a little bit, you know, that's in the back of my mind. Like I'm not the athlete I was five years ago. Um, and just trying to, you know, show up and be that athlete again. And it just didn't quite work out. Did you know before the trials, were you thinking, Reti retirement sabbatical whatever we're gonna call it <laughs> did you know that that was looming oh yeah. yeah I knew at least I mean I think I was gonna be done after 2020 yeah um but then I thought I owed it to myself one more time to go to the trials okay and so I came a little bit close I would say even last December when I was having the knee issues of being like do I even want to continue for six more months but um Brooks was wonderful about extending my contract through the trials. And, and I was like, I might regret it if I don't, you mm. know, try to make it back. Um, but I a hundred percent knew, I mean, even at the trials, I had already started applying for jobs earlier in the spring and I already knew I had a job at the trials. And so like, it was definitely, you know, knowing I was done was probably helpful for me because I was kind of mentally running on fumes mm -hmm. this last couple months. Yeah. Um, it sounds like Brooks was really good to work with. I know that's always scary as an athlete when things come up, like, are they going to renew my contract? So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Brooks has been wonderful to me. They're actually the only company I ever really talked to. Um, it's it's funny. I So I didn't sign with them until after the trials of 2016. Okay. But um, I first sent them a resume, which I don't know if anyone does that. That's probably very old. Yeah. School, what do I people do these days? Just I reach out to know. agents. 
I think so, and I think they might just come out of college in a better position than I was. Sure. But year after I fin, two years after I finished um, my eligibility, I think I'm trying to remember. It was 2014. I hand hand mailed them um, a resume and like a cover letter and all this, and didn't hear anything for a bit. And then a year later, in 2015, at USA's, I think I ran into one of their reps or something, and I was like, "Hey, I love you know, I love your shoes. I love all this like." I literally just want a pair of free shoes. Um, <laughs> that's all I'm asking for at this point. And they got me in touch with some people, and they did get me um, some gear that, that that fall, and they were super nice. They're like, yeah, what do you need? And I was like, oh, just a few of these things, and they were great. And they sent me shoes and gear. And then starting 2016, I had signed with Flynn a couple months earlier with Flynn Sports. And I was on Brooks ID at the start of 2016, which was gear and travel, which was really nice because I never had a travel budget. And we were hoping it would lead to more, um, you know, and we're kind of in, in contact with them the whole spring of 2016. And that's when I was really starting to have breakout performances. So I, you know, that that definitely helped. After the trials, they're basically like, oh, has, here's all this money to go to Europe. You know, we want to help fund that travel as well. Um, and then we finally negotiated. And I think I signed in August of 2016. But I... I don't know, maybe it wasn't helpful for me to shoot for one shoe company, but that's what I always wanted, is to run for Brooks. I just love, like, the run happy, the uh -huh. the kind of what they support and things, so I was super excited. But yeah, they have been wonderful. I emailed them before I was having surgery just to be like, hey, I think, you know, this is what I need to do to be able to keep training, and they were like, take as much time as you need, you know, um, we just want you to come back healthy, so that was great, and then um, this year again, I I really, I knew my performances hadn't exactly backed up what I originally was probably signed for um, or what they, you know, had hoped my potential would be. And so I, I didn't know what to expect because my contract was supposed to expire at the end of 2020. Um, but they re-signed me for nine months, which I thought was really, really awesome just yeah. to get me through the trials and um, to support me through that because they said the original contract was for the trials and they wanted to fulfill that. And I, I feel like that was really cool. And just they've always, they've always been great. And so I was happy that that's the company I got to be with my whole career. So now you're going to be wearing Brooks for life. Yes, shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and actually all of my gear. I have a lot of gear. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I will always be in Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. A quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. Beam is where I am getting all of my hydration beverages these days. My favorite is the Elevate Recovery. It is so refreshing after a long, hot run. This drink has hydrating electrolyte powder, which is formulated with non-GMO collagen peptides, plus BCAA for supportive joint and muscle health. It is so important to replace those electrolytes you're losing when you are out sweating on the run and Beam Recovery is the most delicious and effective way to do that. You can try the variety pack. So as well as the recovery blend, they also have a balanced probiotic blend and an Elevate Energy blend that you would take before a workout to give you a little pep in your step. And lastly, I wanna tell you about their Dream Blend. This is the nightly supplement You've probably seen it all over Instagram. Lots of advertisements for it these days. I am taking it every single night before bed. It is a nighttime powder blend, like a healthy take on hot chocolate. And it has a delicious blend of sleep enhancing vitamins, minerals, and nano hemp. Now this product does contain CBD. Their hydration line does not. 
You can check it all out and save when you go to beamtlc.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. That's beam, B-E-A-M, TLC.com and use the code another at checkout. Okay, back to the show. Um, okay, so talk to us about the new job, assistant coach at Central Michigan University, track and cross country. Yes, yes, it's for both. So in cross country, I help with both men's and women's. And then in track, I will focus on mid-distance, um, which will be really fun. So yeah, I... I love it. The kids are amazing. Um, They're so much fun. I think they've been here for about two weeks now. uh, And just, it's such a good group of kids. They really genuinely care, support each other, um, are just really fun to be around. So I've been having such a good time with that. Um, We went up to our camp last week. It's Beaver Island, which I had never been to before. It's it's like in the middle of Lake Michigan. Uh, it's a fairly large island. None of us had any idea how big it was. <laughs> you know, we're just discovering all these things. Um, but just team bonding up there. And yeah, I just, I've really enjoyed it. As I said, I've been coaching volunteer for um, a while at University of Michigan for five years. And so I really started to feel like, okay, this is something I want to do. Because I am so passionate about running. It's just no longer what I wanted to make all about me anymore. Um, and so this has just been perfect. I get to do what I love um, with the sport and really interact with, you know, kids and hopefully can help them, you know, find what they love and achieve their dreams and, and running. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just been great. I've been in Michigan almost my whole life. So when I saw the opening here, it was perfect fit. Uh, I love the staff. Uh, the people I work with. It's great. And that was a huge part of me choosing it is I want to work with people that I enjoy spending time with. Um, because coaching is not a nine to five. We spend so much time doing things. And so we're together a lot. Um, and it's yeah, so it's definitely interesting getting used to a new rhythm or a new balance. Whereas before, you know, there's a huge priority on rest and recovery mm. and, you know, doing everything I need to do for my own running performance. And now sometimes I feel like I'm kind of running all over and doing different things. Um, you know, my runs, like this morning, we had a fartlek workout. The kids did like two minutes on, two minutes off, um, anywhere from six to 12 reps. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll run with it a bit. And so I warm up, but I don't do any of the drills. I'm just standing around talking to the coaches, watching the kids, making sure they're doing things right. And then I just was able to kind of jump in and do like a rep with all the different groups here or there. And it was like sometimes kind of hard because I haven't ran a ton in the last couple of weeks. And, um, but it was so good to be able to like just be there. And when I'm in the groups, kind of I can really judge how the kids are feeling and um, give them like on the spot advice and things that it's like a nice combination where that's hard to do if you're on the sidelines mm-hmm. as a coach. It's very hard to tell what is happening in the fartlet because there's no, you know, exact uh, paces and you're just watching groups and things. So I feel like that's, it's a really fun way where my running is, you know, helping me out, helping me be a better coach, but it's so not about my running anymore. It's just, um, doing it because it's fun and using it to help the kids when I can in their workouts. Um, so I don't know. I've just enjoyed finding like a new way to really enjoy that passion of running. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you hopped in for workouts, I wonder how many, collegiate coaches actually can hop in and run the workouts yeah I mean and there's some I definitely don't run with them where it just is more sense for me to be on the track with a stopwatch or in the car a fart is a great one though because like 
Otherwise, I actually don't know how they're doing if I'm just watching. Yeah. So I feel like I get a better read on how they're doing. Um, when I was at Michigan, I occasionally did. That's different, though. I guess being a volunteer, it's a little bit more low-key. Uh, my coach was their coach at Michigan, and so a lot of times he wanted me to work out with the girls mm. um, to help with pacing or help with different things. So, yeah, I don't know how many do it, but I at least want to be able to do easy runs with them yeah. for quite a while. Uh, I don't know how long I'll be fit enough to jump in and out of workouts. We'll see. You know, you hear people talk a lot about like slowing down your easy runs and things like that. And I don't know if that's something a lot of people learn after college, but do you notice, is that something you have to really like tell your team like, Hey, we need to slow down for easy runs. Um, so far I think it's been okay. Um, okay. some of it we've been hit really hard by some hot and humid mornings. So uh, it just happens that we need to slow down. Yeah. But I feel like they've actually been doing a pretty good job. The funny thing or the biggest difference between them and me now is like, I might run. So if they run 730 pace, they actually run 730 in the first mile too. Whereas uh-huh. I sometimes will start like 830. Yeah. I'm like, I legitimately need some time to get moving. Yes. <laughs> I mean, um, so, that is like the older you get, the more it's like the one mile warm up turns into a three mile warm up. <laughs> yeah, I was saying the other day, it's like I used to feel pretty good after a mile in my runs and I'd be like clicking off maybe, oh, maybe I'm already in the 640s after a mile. And I'm like, yeah, now it takes like three miles until I start to feel good, maybe three and a half. And these days I'm almost at the point where I want to stop at that because I can. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have to be like, OK, you can run further and you'll probably feel better. Oh my gosh. I know. That's what I tell people, professional collegiate running aside. I always just tell people who want to start running. I'm like, you have to get past like the 30 minute barrier. Cause like once you become a distance runner, that's when really, I feel like 20, 30 minutes is when you start really actually you're warmed up. You're finally warmed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And I think that was my struggle in like high school and early running in middle schools. I never got past the point where it was hard. <laughs> and so I'd always want to like stop and walk when I was younger. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's hard after five minutes. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't trust that I would eventually start to feel better. Yeah. And especially teaching an adult that is really hard. Cause it's like having the time and patience to get, to get yourself built up to that time. Um, okay. So backtrack a little bit. One of the things that we talked about in the emails before this is that you you were sort of a late bloomer, but you said you were running in high school, but you mean mm-hmm. a late bloomer, like your breakthrough performances came through a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Cause I have been running since I was 12, but not much in my high school career really pointed to a professional runner in the future. Um, I ran like a 513 mile, I think a 224, 800. Like that's not, I mean, even like however many years ago that was like, way too many. Um, it's still not that fast. Um, you know, I had like one all state finish seventh division two in Michigan. Like that's just not anything amazing. Um, and then I went to D two and really started to improve like my junior year there. Like I didn't break five minutes in the mile until I was 20 years old, which is kind of late for them. And like five years later I ran, you know, like four twenty-five. So it, yeah, it's just interesting. I think, um, I was hurt a little bit in my early college career. I've been hurt on and off throughout my career, (laughs) but I finally was able to, I think, figure out how to handle that and how to like train through those kind of things with cross training and stuff and, and not make it like take me out for a year basically. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a slow and steady improvement. I think once I got partway through college and then every year I was seeing like, you know, eight second drops in the mile 
as I was like able to put more and more healthy training together. Um, I definitely had some really big step ups my senior year of college and then my fifth year at Michigan. Um, and then even the year after that, and I think it was just getting more and more intense training. Uh, I'm not a super naturally fit person, <laughs> meaning like if I don't run for two months, I can barely run a mile without stopping. Um, so I think that meant when I was younger and I was never training that much and I was getting hurt on and off, I just never got past the point of actually getting fit. And so we just weren't seeing great results. And then once we got so I could handle about 40 miles is where I can get really, really fit off of that. Um, we finally started seeing things click. And then once you see progress and faster times and results, it was just really easy to start dreaming of what's next and, and staying motivated and, and keeping pushing that way. Um, but sometimes I just, I don't know why I kept getting it faster and faster. I mean, you put in the work and the training, but there's clearly some level of talent. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't, I just don't think I realized I was that talented when I was younger. Cause I, you know, I'm seeing these girls run 450 in high school and I don't understand how they can do that. I'm like, I'm trying as hard as I can. I had no idea how to train though. Um, and so I think just learning that, learning what kind of training worked for me, um, and just needing more time, I guess, um, to get that behind me before I was really ready to start running good times. Yeah. I mean, to not break five minutes and then within five years down 20, 35 seconds. Yeah. I, that's, that's crazy to me. Cause it took me way longer to go from like 5.30 to 5 than it did from 5 to 4.30. And I don't understand that. But <laughs> like I said, I think it was just the lack of like the right training for me. Like I was always running, but maybe not necessarily enough and nothing specific. And we just didn't maybe know how to train me particularly. And just, yeah, needing more time and working with um, different coaches. Yeah, I was going to say, was there a coaching change in that time period? I've had a lot of different coaches. I did have three different coaches in undergrad and then a fourth coach my fifth year at Michigan. Wow, that's a lot. Um, yeah, and I did improve under all of them because, um, like I said, I started fairly slow, so it gave me lots of room to improve. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, they all had slightly different styles. I don't know when I would say it was, like, the biggest. The first coach I had I absolutely adored. Um, I really just – I loved her. I was just hurt a lot of it. So we saw, like, 513 down to 5 flat. So that was great. Um, but then I got a little bit stuck after that just because I was hurt. And then I think I ran like 452 my junior year and 446 my senior year and 437 at Michigan. So those were all pretty steady. And that might have just been like putting – I actually had a couple of years of healthy training. Um, so putting that together. But I did have a ton of different coaches, um, which was hard in the moment. But looking back, I really, really enjoyed having all those different experiences. Uh, my first three coaches were all really young women between like 24 and 26 years old, which was huge for me as a young female athlete. Um, I just, they were such good role models. It's funny now cause I'm 31 and I'm like, they still seemed so wise and you know, like they knew what they uh -huh. were doing. It was like, would I have been that well-spoken and that put together at 25? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, I still like think of them and use them as examples in my head. Even, I mean, obviously now there's, 35 or so but thinking back to their 25 year old self is still like an example for me or something I try to model myself after yeah it's weird when that that age gap was so small too like you weren't that much younger than them yeah I wasn't and it, yeah they still seemed like so much like okay this is coach they're in charge yeah um 
which, yeah. So I guess they did it, you know, they did a great job leading. So the, the question I'm thinking is like having worked with so many different coaches now that you're coaching, like, do you think back to what they were in your life at that time period and like how you want to, I don't know, use different techniques and styles that you pulled from them in your own coaching career? Yeah, I, I think hugely that that plays a big role. I just remember, like when I think of recruiting now, which is something yeah. I'm getting deep in the world of, the coach who recruited me made me feel so special. Uh-huh. And just like she really, really wanted me um, and was willing to like come out to these super low-key cold meets and sit there for two hours and just handwritten notes and all these things that just made me um, feel appreciated like they really wanted me. And so for her, you know, I definitely think about that. Um how some of them like ran practices or how they interacted with their athletes. And just thinking back to what I like, what I appreciated, um, what I know other athletes liked, because they all had different styles. And I do think that plays a huge role. And I think it's been helpful for me to learn that. Probably the biggest takeaway too, is just how important that coach athlete relationship is and how big of a role a coach can play in an athlete's life. Uh, and just wanting to develop that relationship with my athletes and just really getting to know them and, know them more and just not not care solely about their times or how their performance is, um, but just really being there to support them in any way I can. And just it's, it's helpful to look back and see how the coaches I've worked with did that. And you may like when I was younger, I probably didn't think about that as much. Um, or I mean, maybe it wasn't as like obvious to me. But once I started working with like Mike McGuire at Michigan and seeing how he did that for the girls, too, it really showed me like, wow, he cares so much. Um and I'm seeing so much more behind the scenes of what the coach puts in in order for the athletes to be, you know, happy and successful people in general. Yeah, I'm curious as a coach, like how one balances, you know, like the front pack runners, the the women who are running like in the top five or whatever it is and making the maybe slowest woman on the team or whatever you want to call it feel just as important to that team as your number one, your number two runner? Yeah, I think one thing we try to work on here is um, everybody does contribute to the team, but it just might not all be in the same way. Like not everyone's main contribution is athletic. Some people are great leaders and great supporters um, and great just with like the encouragement and building others up. And like that's something huge that's going to make us more successful as a team, even if you're not directly a top five person. Yeah. So I think just trying to help everyone learn their role and understand how you guys are helping us and you're making us better. I think that's a big first step um, because those it's it's easy. The girls who are up front varsity, it's very easy for them to, you know, feel like, OK, I'm, I'm impacting the team and I'm making a difference. Uh, so it's just helping everyone see that we all have different roles to play. And that's, you know, not a bad thing. Maybe, you know, some of our top five people are just maybe someone's really quiet or something and just not, you know, as as great about making everyone feel super welcome and included. Um, and so maybe that's one of our slower girls or something or slower boys. That's what they're great at. But it brings the whole team better that way. I think, too, having ran at Division Two and then having ran and coached in Division One, a high level, it's. I've seen a couple of very different sides. And so that's really given me a lot of perspective because I kind of find where I'm currently at a little bit in the middle of those two teams. And I think that's been super helpful to just understand like different ways to be successful depending on the level of athletes and abilities that you have. And 
maybe the coaching styles or the things you do are a little bit different. Um, and that's fine. You know, you just figure out what works best for the people you're working with. Um, so this might sound like a silly question, but I'm, if I'm wondering, I'm assuming listeners are wondering, you, uh, Central Michigan University, is that D1? Yes, it is. It's D1. It's in the MAC, the Mid-American Conference. Okay. Yeah. So but, sorry if I didn't make that clear. No, no, no. I should know that, but I'm just... I'm thinking through this because University of Michigan, that's that's D1, but this is just, mm-hmm. it's a smaller school yeah, where you're at now. Yeah, it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit smaller. And like the University of Michigan is Power 5 conference. And so the MAC is just a little bit smaller of like a D1. Okay. Um, so a little bit lower level, but still Division 1. And I mean, our goals are still, you know, to perform really high at that level. Um, it's just a little bit uh, different of the teams that we have right now. Um, but yeah, and then Hillsdale, where I went to undergrad, was a very tiny Division two school. So a nice variety of perspectives. Yeah, you're you're all over the board there. Um, who are some other coaches or in your like career, maybe that you haven't worked with, but like you've noticed their styles that you're like, that's the kind of coach I want to be like. Is there anybody that you look up to? I was super impressed with Coach Taylor of BYU this past year. I just really admired how much her athletes bought in Mm. and believed and then went out and performed. Um, And I think because obviously there's physical abilities and there's training, but so much more of it is like being able to convince athletes of what they're capable of because they're almost always capable of more. um, And that holds for everyone. Mm. But it's just believing that and buying in it and then actually going out and doing it and and putting the work in to make it happen. So I found... um, it was just really, it was impressive to see what her girls were able to do this year. I'm trying to think of who else I have seen and worked with. I mean, obviously, I'm biased because I worked with Mike for many, many years, <laughs> Mike McGuire at the University of Michigan. But, you know, he's just, to be able to be that successful, and I think it's something like, oh, I, I should know this, like 18 years now in a row that they've made NCAAs. That's very impressive. And we do it on, they do it on a lot of uh, local talent. A lot of Michigan girls, a lot of Midwest. Yeah. I think when I ran there my fifth year, um, six of the seven top girls, six of the seven of us at nationals were from Michigan. Um, So that's pretty cool to see because it shows you don't necessarily have to be recruiting all over. It's just learning how to develop talent where you find it. Do you think part of that is like, how do we convince someone to live in Michigan through the winters? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally get that. People are always like, what do you do in the winter? I'm like, well, to be honest, we usually leave for a little bit. When we train, I go to Arizona, um, at least for like two weeks just to break it up. But we, I don't know, we have indoor tracks. We we race inside and train inside. Um, We live in Michigan because of the fall is beautiful. And we have like a week or two in the spring, which is beautiful. (laughs) And then sometimes summer is, sometimes it's like horribly hot and humid. I don't, yeah, and we're, like, one of the cloudiest states, but I love (laughs) Michigan, so I will still tell people to come here. It's wonderful, Um, but I don't know why we sometimes put up with what we do. Oh, I'm from Indiana, so I'm, it's similar, similar region, and I mean, South Haven and Grand Haven, beautiful, beautiful summer spots. Yeah, Lake Michigan towns. We do say we have some of the best summers. Like our little towns on Lake Michigan, it's just perfect. Um, I think Lake Michigan's better than the ocean. Again, a Michigan bias, but there's no salt water, no sharks. So yeah, and just as pretty. <laughs> it's pretty perfect. Like July, mm-hmm. and we went to Grand Haven. I guess was it last summer? Yeah, not this. 
yeah, last summer I went to Grand Haven with some friends and it was just, it was really beautiful. It is. Yeah. We always have, we go to Charlevoix a bit. Um, and obviously Traverse City is always nice too, but that whole area over there, all those places are beautiful. But you're in Ann Arbor. I was. So Central Michigan is actually in Mount Pleasant, which is about two hours north of Ann Arbor. Okay, cool. Now, what does your husband do? Because he's Michigan, too, obviously. Yeah, he is. So he had been working um, at Running Fit, uh, a running shoe store in near Ann Arbor, and he's been there for several years. Um, And right now, he's he's looking around a little bit. He's actually volunteer coaching at Central with us, which is fun. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's great. I think because um, the head coach and I are both female, and so having you know a guy, the guys love him. They want him to actually compete for them. Obviously, he can't, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> they're having a really good time. Uh, but he's, yeah, so he's looking for something right now, but just kind of enjoying a little bit, a little bit of a break and in between at the moment. I don't know that he'll want to go into coaching full time or not, but I do know like he'll always be super invested in the, you know whatever teams I'm coaching. Um, He's, he's super passionate about running too. He runs, uh, he's, we met at Hillsdale where we both ran on the Okay. Okay. That's yeah. where I was wondering. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's fun having like such a, a shared interest. Uh, and then, you know, he, cause he runs a lot. He's probably 70 miles a week oh, yeah. most of the time. Yeah. And so I think it's great too. Like I understand the running is a priority, you know, and it's something we make time for and we make sure to like schedule in and, and things. So it's, it's fun. Pro- he's probably like my favorite running buddy because he lets me do whatever. Like if I feel good, we can hammer. If I'm like, no, we have to run 830 pace. He's like, that's fine. So it's nice. <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, when you're running 70 miles a week, you should be flexible when the person that jumps in that's running 30 or 40 miles a week wants to do what she wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, know. I love that. When he's, yeah. When he's got a hard long run, I'm like, you go out by go, yourself. Yeah, you go do your thing. <laughs> but what's he doing if he's running 70 miles a week and doing hard long runs? Is he marathon training? No, which I think he should run a marathon. Yes. Um, I know, but he does GLR. I don't know if you've ever heard of Great Lakes Relay. Okay. I so it's basically, it's um, a three-day race across Michigan. There's teams of 10 people, and I think it's about 280 miles that you do over those three days. You run okay. like twice a day. It's his absolute favorite weekend of the year. He literally talks and trains for it all year. Uh. Um, so that's that's the big one. And he does other races. Like he did a half, he'll do half marathons. He's just not ready to, or he doesn't want to do the full. I've been trying to convince him for a while um, and he, he hasn't bought into a full yet. Uh, but he just, you know, likes to sometimes jump in 5Ks, 10Ks, stuff like that. What does he throw down for a half marathon? He's ran a 73. Oh, he's like really so, fast. <laughs> I know. He's good. It's actually funny. Um, we have the exact same 5K PR. So uh, that's like our, our point where we meet perfectly. Uh. Um yeah, I'm actually a little speedier when we go down, but then he's definitely way better when we go higher uh-huh. than that. Um, but no, I mean, he's quite a good distance runner. That's why I'm like, you could run a good marathon, yeah. but we'll see. And then the guys on his Great Lakes team, are they also fast? Um, Yeah, some of them are pretty good. Um, yeah. And it's guys and girls, actually. Oh, okay. so it's like a combo. Um, I'm trying to, because th- there have been a couple guys on there, I think, who have ran in the 14s for the 5K at some point. I'm trying to remember who they had this year. Yeah, they had at least two. Who are in the 14s. Um, so they're pretty good. They're very competitive. They got, oh, he's going to kill me. I'm pretty sure they got second this year. Um, <laughs> I'm like, is it second or third? <laughs> but um, their goal is like top five. And they've always been, he's done it like five or six years in a row. And they've always been top five. So. Oh, that's so fun. Um, did you say you have a tied 5K PR? 
We do. It's we like the exact ran- same time? Exact same. 1526. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's funny. <laughs> you guys got to yeah. duke it out. You got to get like super fit and duke it out. I know. I know. We do need to. Uh, although I'm like, oh, are we ever going to be both that fit? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. It might be a fun storyline to just keep it tied. Yeah, exactly. Hey, friends, if you haven't signed up for the Under Armour All Out Mile yet, what are you waiting for? Whether you're marathon training, half marathon training, whatever it is you are training for, training for life, that's what I'm doing right now, you can sign up to run the All Out Mile. Just see where you're at. Test yourself a little bit. It's totally free. You get a free, 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 free 30-day training plan with tips in your inbox, your email inbox every single week. You can run the mile anytime between October 1st and October 11th, and it's going to be super fun. The biggest team gets to pick a youth sports charity of choice to donate $15,000 to. So let's get team all have another to be the biggest team, and we can get that money donated to Girls on the Run. All right. Go to uaalloutmile.com slash allhaveanother to get signed up. Back to the show. Well, listen, we're doing this Under Armour All Out Mile series. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I thought it would be really fun to have all the athletes for that series to be like milers, 1500 meter runners, so we can get the best advice. Yeah. So, what is your advice to someone who maybe they're marathon training, maybe they're training for other things, but like they want to do their best mile time? What's some advice you have? You definitely have to train under pace. You know, if like, I'm assuming you have a little bit of time to train in this scenario. Yeah. Um, I would definitely practice stuff under race pace, you know, whether it's like 200s and 300s and 400s, uh, because otherwise, if you try to run a mile and you're going faster than you've ever run in practice, you're going to be cooked in like 400 meters, which is really hard. I think the best way to run a mile as fast as possible would probably be even splits or like a very slight negative. So I guess like a little bit element of control the first half, Mm. especially for like, a newbie because you don't want to blow up at the end. That's the worst and most painful way to run a mile. Trying to think of what else. I mean, the mile's so fun because there's so many things you can do to train for, you know, like tempo runs, the sprints, the in-between. And I think they're all really important. Uh, so mixing it up, you know, doing different things, um, practicing some all out sprinting for, you know, a hundred meters and just seeing how that feels, um, getting in some like good aerobic training, but, um, definitely a, a decent amount of speed work. I also like, I kind of approach the mile from a speed end. Mm-hmm. So I like doing the underpace things and just that way there's an element of control when you're in it and you're just not feeling like you're dead sprinting from the start. Yeah. It's so hard as a distance distance runner, because it's like, if you're used to training for half marathons and marathons, you're like, okay, it's just one mile. So you start sprinting. Cause you're like, it's just mm-hmm. one mile, but very quickly, like a quarter of a mile in, you're like, oh shoot, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, practicing under that speed, but then learning, okay, what's a realistic pace I should go out and at least through halfway. And yeah. then you can, you know, you can either get moving or try to hold on if it already is feeling pretty hard. But just like, yeah, watching that first minute or two, otherwise it's it's going to be a rough one. Yeah. What's your favorite? Give us like a speed session. Like give us a good workout. <laughs> 
So my favorite workout is sets of 400, 300, 200, 150. Okay. So yeah, like a down ladder, we'll do like a minute and a half between, and then we'll do anywhere from like two to four sets. Okay. It's um, like maybe four minutes between sets. And we kind of start at mile pace. So like on the first one, I'd go like 66 maybe, then like a 48, 49, like a 31, and a 22 or 23. And then by the last set, we just pretty much run it all out. Um, all of them? Yeah, it's, yeah, all of them. It's really fun. Um, I like the speed stuff like that. You know, a 400 you can mentally get through, you know, without yeah. – yeah, it's the stuff like repeat K's and repeat oh. A's that have always gotten me a little bit. They're tough. So hard. Okay, wait. So is it 90 second rest between the four, the three, the two, and the 150? Yes. Yeah. And then once you get done with the 150, like four minutes. Okay. And, and then, then you'd repeat it again or, you know, however you many times. To, but <laughs> however many times you can. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay, cool. Well, Listen, I saw you at the Sir Walter Mile and I thought I thought I knew that that was you, but I wasn't sure at the track. And then we said hi at the dinner. Yeah, yeah. It was so good to see you there. Yeah. I think you, you just moved to Raleigh, right? It's so weird. Yeah, I just I like, we randomly kind of moved here. But um, the Sir Walter Mile just happened to be like the week after we moved. So it was really fun to be able to quickly engage in the running community. Yeah, it is such a fun community in Raleigh, and and that's a huge reason why I kept coming back. Um, but yeah, that's and that's so cool you got to be in there right away because hopefully you've like met some people and can kind of feel like a little bit more welcomed and like you can have a small community already. Yeah. So why did you decide? I know your lifetime mile PR. It's at, that's at the Sir Walter Mile. Yeah, it is from 2016. Okay, man, just that was the year for you. Um, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> was it just timing, though? Why did you decide for that to be your last professional race? Um, Some of it was timing. Like, I knew I wanted to end this season. I actually had originally thought I would do Memphis and maybe something later. But then once I got the job at Central and I decided I was going to start pretty soon after the trials, I was like, you know, it's going to be a little bit harder to extend late August um, just because my kids are going to be on campus. I'm going to have a million things to do. So that kind of ruled out the later August stuff. Um, And then once I started thinking about it, I was like, well, Memphis is fun, but it is kind of like a time chasing meet, And I have Mm. zero standards to chase anymore. And I don't think I'm in PR shape. So I was like, that just doesn't seem to be, you know, exactly what I want to end on. And I was like, you know, Sir Walter's just always been fun for me. Um, This is my third year staying with uh, Michelle, who's been my host. Um, She's amazing. I love staying with her. And I was just like, that's, it's just so fun. Every time I'm there, I just, I love it. I've got great memories from there. And it just seemed like this is how I want to go out somewhere where I can like just celebrate and have fun. And I know so many people. um, And it's just like such a, a good way, I guess, to finish on a good note. Um, you know, it wasn't like, it didn't really matter how fast I ran. Yeah. Like I obviously wanted to, to, you know, to run my best. Um, and I was super happy to run 4:30. My training going had felt horrendous <laughs> going into it ever since the trials. I have been, you know, definitely struggling through training, both in terms of like, I've been way busier. I, I'm running at 7am now before work and it's hot and humid and definitely struggling a little bit with motivation. And so like coming there is like, okay, that's something fun to shoot for. So I think that will help me be motivated. Um, And then running that, it was the first time I felt good in like two months. It just was like such a fun and a a good way to end and just to feel like myself out there again. It is 
such a fun atmosphere. I don't, I've never been to a race like that. Yeah, there's, there's some that I've been to that are similar, but that one is, it's pretty special. And I think they just do, they put so many little things into that race to make it so special for the athletes. Um, I mean, there's a reason, like, that was my fifth time. Like, I want to come back. I'm like, hey, maybe next year I'll come and run in the coaches race. Yeah. You know? It's oh, just, you should. <laughs> yeah, that would be really fun. But yeah, they just make it such a good experience. And I know it's definitely like a bucket list item for a lot of milers. Yeah. Tell us real quick, like, how different is it racing a mile on the track when you're used to racing a 15 on the track? Um. I actually do think they feel different. I don't know if I'm alone in that. The mile feels a little bit more relaxed. Really? Because it does. We don't start as fast. The 15, I think being on the straightaway, everybody wants to be like in position two or three. So everyone dead sprints. Like mm. we're always like 14 point, which is pretty fast. Um, and so for me, that always feels hard. It's always been hard for me to start super, super fast in a mm. race. I feel like the mile, just there's a little bit more of a relaxed start. And so I like that. Um, so I usually prefer the mile. Um, it, it depends what some years when I'm feeling super speedy, the 15 is more fun. Uh, but I race the mile so much, honestly. Yeah, I think you I kinda, do. Yeah. I kind of search them out. So I, I probably run just as many 15s as miles. So I'm used to going back and forth. I was thinking that when I was kind of looking into your story, I was like, I feel like she races the mile a lot and a lot of track and field is so 1500 focused. Yeah, I think. Um, there've just been so many opportunities in the last few years for milers in the summer. I definitely think it's the easiest event to be a professional runner in because you could literally race every single weekend all summer. Um, there's an opportunity anywhere, whether it's roads or track. Uh, and so that's probably why, cause I, I go to, I've gone to Europe a couple years, but a lot of times it's made more sense for me to stay here and generally race the mile here in the, in the summer. Um, they started adding some 15s too, but I just think that's where the opportunities are and um, honestly, that's where the prize money is in the summer. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. So we tend to chase that a lot. A lot of the 15s are set up to run fast and they don't always have as much money. Um, and that is the reality of the sport. You know, it's, it's good to get a little bit of help there on the yeah. races. Wow. I didn't know that. Well, yeah. And also just anybody who's like kind of a fan of the sport, they know the mile time. People that don't yeah. know running a lot don't know 1500 stuff. <laughs> I know it's so true when people ask what I run and I say the 15 and I usually have to tell them like how it relates to the mile yeah. and then a mile, my mile time if they ask because I'm like my 15 means nothing to you. Yeah exactly. Um, okay what Amanda is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Professionally I want to lead a team that wins the NCAA cross country championship. Um, I'm obviously very early in my career so that's probably a little bit down the road, but I feel like that is definitely a huge goal. Um, personally, I love traveling, so I want to go to as many of the national parks as I can. Um, my husband and I just like hiking and being outdoors um, and those kind of trips. So just getting to see a lot of our country that way. And then who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring that you would like to have coffee, tea, or a cocktail with? I was thinking about this one um, because I'm like, the reality is if I first meet somebody, I'm like kind of shy. Yeah. So I'm like, who would I actually be, be fun to talk with? Because um, I'm like, I would really just love to meet some of my best friends. So like when I raced in St. Louis earlier this year, I met up with uh, my best friend from third grade. So we've been friends forever. She was in my wedding. 
I don't think I had talked to her in five years, but then we like, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be in town. And she responds within like five minutes. Oh my gosh, that's perfect. Like, you know, and then we arranged to meet up and just caught up for like two hours. Um, and that was so much fun. And so the reality is like, yeah, that's what I'd prefer. If I have to go with like a celebrity or someone famous, I was like, who would be fun to chat with? Um, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. So Emma Watson. Okay. I think she would be super fun. I think, you know, she's, seems like a really interesting person and could probably tell a lot of fun stories and things. What are you looking forward to now that you're not focusing so much on racing yourself? Like, are there things that you couldn't do that you're like, ah, now I have time for this. Not that you're not busy coaching, but your body, you're not like prioritizing (laughs) your body in the same way. Yeah. Um, okay. I was never super strict on what I ate in terms of, I think moderation is important. But definitely feeling like, you know, as much dessert as I want. Um, that's kind of fun. <laughs> I think in general, just not feeling stressed. Like if, you know, it's a weekend and I've been really busy all week at work, but like my friends are doing something or family and not feeling like torn. Like, should I be just relaxing and resting? But just being like, hey, let's, you know, I can go. I can do that and spend time with people. Um, like the other day, we went to a concert with our friends um, in Detroit I think we got home at 2 a.m. Mm. Like I couldn't do that when I was running because I would have been, I would have had to go home and get rest and I wouldn't have wanted to be out in the heat for a couple hours. So it's just little everyday things like that. I'm like, oh, I can do those things now and not just have to, you know, think about it if I'm in the middle of a training or racing season. It's so the sleep thing, man. Also, the older you get, I'm like, I don't even have to have a drink. But if I go to bed at two, I'm my body's probably still waking me up at six thirty, and I'm probably gonna feel hungover from that only four hours of yep. sleep. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I was like, when is the last time I've been up till two? I can't even remember. So which, late. I guess after a race, probably when you can't sleep, but like not because yeah. I chose to. <laughs> what was the concert? It was. Weezer, Fall Out Boy, and Green Day. Okay. So a rock concert. Yeah, I go to so few concerts. <laughs> but it was really fun. Um, I was just cracking up because like Green Day, we looked it up. They're all like over 50 years oh, old. Oh, yeah. They're old. And yeah. it's like you just don't think about that anymore. You're like, oh, wow, you're get, getting up there. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Time of Your Life song, I remember that in high school. And I graduated high yeah. school like almost 20 years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they were probably in their 30s then. Um, yeah, yeah. Weezer, did they sweet sing the sweater song? They did. Yeah. <laughs> that, and like everyone's, you know, singing along to it. It was really funny. Yeah. Um, are you a reader? Yes. I love reading. Okay. What's the best, most recent book you've read? So I've actually done a lot of audiobooks lately because, um, been driving to meets slash now that I drive to a million meets of recruiting. Uh-huh. Um, I just listened to talking with strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. Um, and that was really interesting. I really, and actually the audiobook is really cool because he does things like there's some like music in some of the transitions and he sometimes has interview clips with the people. So it's just actually a, almost like a podcast he describes it, but it's an interesting way to listen to it. Um, I just started listening to range, um, by David Epson. Okay. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. Um, and that was a little bit of a slower start right now. Uh, I got to get into that one a little bit more. I'm trying to think. I I read both Barack Obama and Michelle Obama's books. Really preferred Michelle's. Um, I've heard that. Good, <laughs> she's such a good storyteller. Um, and it just, 
it just really flows and it's just so good to read and and Brack's book was good but it was definitely like almost sometimes more policy here and there mm-hmm. and it was just a little bit drier to get through um so I do that I do I like fantasy too when I'd like need to break you know have my mind totally turned off um but yeah reading is definitely something after college I was so excited to be able yes. to like spend time reading for fun again I remember that feeling. I was like, I just want to read a book without feeling guilty that I shouldn't be studying. Yes. And like being able to read it and not trying to force everything to like stay in my brain. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's been it's fun. But the audiobooks has been huge for driving because um, that was just really like this weekend I'm going to Terre Haute to a meet, which is like six hours each way. So I'm like, I got a lot of time to kill. And that's just such a good way to make the time go by and like make it a lot more interesting. Listen, everybody, I know this is a podcast where I interview professional runners, but my high school cross-country PR is in Terre Haute. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I've never raced Terre Haute. Oh, really? Crazy enough. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It It didn't, the one year I ran in D1, it was at Louisville for nationals. And then I was all set. I was going to race the Terre Haute meet this year, the meet of champions or whatever they called it. And I got hurt like two weeks before. Um, so I was like, oh, I almost had my chance. So maybe, I don't know, maybe someday, but I think it's, it's getting a lot slimmer. The odds of me feeling confident enough (laughs) to race there. Cross country. Why is Terre Haute like known for being a fast or just like, it's, it seems to me like it's a well-known cross country course. Yeah, it's, it's super well-known. I mean, the whole place is dedicated just to cross country. I think they have, I want to say it's the coaches hall of fame museum or they have something there. I, I probably it's probably not exactly that, but I mean, nationals are there so often they host meets all the time. I think it's just known for just being like a very well-used yeah, famous course. Yeah. It's, it's not super fast. I don't think it's that slow though when it's dry because mm-hmm. it's, it's rolling. The footing's great. Um, I don't know. I think again, having not raced it, I can't like completely tell you, but I think it can move pretty well. It's not, um, like a pancake flat course. I think it's like a true cross country course. It's not a golf course. Um, it's just, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty good course. It's pretty spectator friendly too. So maybe that's helpful why they host yeah. a lot of meets. Yeah, that was, we had our semi-state for Indiana cross country there. And then I think Indiana runs state there now, which Indiana used to run state and I use course, which was crazy hilly. Okay, yeah, I I do think they have state at Terre Haute because we'll probably either try to go there or send send somebody there. Um, But yeah, I haven't been on NIU's course. I know all these things. I'm going to be at so many more. You know, you're going to learn all the things. Learn all of that. (laughs) So for your recruiting visit to Terre Haute, like, are you looking? Do you have specific people you're looking at? Are you looking at specific teams? I do have specific people. I'll have, there's some people we've already talked to several of them a little bit. Uh, and so, you know, give them a heads up. I'm there, but also just kind of to watch, is there anybody else who stands out or looks good? You know, again, it's a, trying to recruit for a school. Um, it's a little bit interesting when you choose like what athletes, cause you got to get the right fit. Um, we're not quite power five. So sometimes the top, top athletes, um, we still want to talk to, but sometimes that's a little bit, um, out of reach or a little bit harder to get here. We're hoping in the future if we can, you know, develop the program that we can get the best athletes. Um, so it's sort of finding, you know, like the right kind of that in between and just learning like what that athlete looks like. And just I haven't been to too many as a coach yet. So I am learning like 
how do I interact with the athletes, yeah. you know, and their coaches? How do I watch them? Because, you know, I haven't seen these girls before. I don't know what they'll look like. So trying to literally figure out who they are while they're running, um, definitely a learning process. It's so interesting to me to hear a coach talk about this because, you know, like I was never a good, a fast enough runner in high school that that would, anybody would ever be looking at me. But now looking back, thinking of those experiences with those girls that were in the top, like that coaches were just showing up watching them just like they would at a basketball game. Yeah. And it's weird for me too. Cause same thing. I had, I had one coach who came and that's from Hillsdale where I went, but I'm like, is it normal for me to just wander Walk up, up? Yeah. Um, and, and say, and I think it is because um, one of the meets I was at, I saw other college coaches doing the same thing. And I'm like, I, I guess this is how it is for the good athletes. So it's kind of fun. Um, like figuring that out, that dynamic and how to, how to best approach it. Um, yeah, it's definitely a learning process. I think you'll do great because you have that, like you said, <laughs> what you remembered from the coach who recruited you, like how special they made you feel. I mean, yeah, people, yeah. people feel that. That's real. I think so. And so it's like even learning how to build a relationship with recruits. So it's just a lot of um, a lot of like people and network and just, you know, I think the coaching side in terms of training is actually not that big of what I do when I look at how I spend my time it's like yes obviously that's important but so much more of it is the relationships Mm -hmm. um, whether it is with the recruits and then when they get here the athletes wow I my hope is that more coaches think like that as time goes on and I I do feel like that is happening like looking at the whole the whole picture the whole individual not just like the outcome of races yeah I think so and I think people are seeing that that's how you do have higher success you know, when you really develop trust with your athletes, they're going to buy in and they're going to believe. And I do think like um, that's what we're seeing with some of our most successful teams right now. You listen to them and it's like they really, um, really believe in their coaches. That's so great. Okay, Amanda, what is your last message you want to leave with our audience? I think I would just encourage people to find what you're passionate about and find a way to make that work. Um, You know, running is definitely something I've always loved and did not know how to make a career out of it and it sort of came together as I was able to just keep working and keep pushing um and you know keep trying to open doors for myself uh and I think not necessarily feeling like you have to live up to someone's expectations of what your your passion should be um is and just not living up to like I guess what the world thinks you need to be doing to be successful so finding something that makes you happy and something that feels fulfilling Uh, And that can be like any number of things for different people. And it doesn't have to be all the time. I'm sure there are times when I'm going to be like super stressed out from coaching or just like frustrated with things. But then you have like a really good interaction with an athlete or you see somebody really achieve a big goal of theirs and like that makes it worthwhile. So I just think, you know, finding something you love, um, being able to pursue it and make it into a career. um, That's definitely something I always want to be able to do and I would encourage you know other people to think about how can they do that for themselves I love that yeah you know it's like as you were saying that I was just shaking my head because man I'm feeling good today but yesterday I was just feeling burnout I was burnout I felt like I had so many I have so many interviews this week and like my kids were being wild and I was just like am I doing too much you know I was feeling crazy And then today I have this like peace over me and I'm really excited about my interviews. And so it's just like, it just ebbs and flows. And if you can accept that and realize like when it's going down, it's probably going to come back up. You just have to learn to manage the 
excitement and the and the downtimes. Yeah, I think that's so true. And like, you know, it was the same way with professional running. Like there are super high highs and then, you know, obviously really low lows. And how do you just still find purpose and joy in that um, and figuring out like, why, why are you still doing this? And why do you want to still do this? And it'll be the same way, you know, with, with coaching. So, and I do think I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I found something I do love this much and I have been able to turn it into a career because I know that it's hard and it doesn't happen all the time. And so even if that's the case, then it's like, well, how can you find something about what you're doing that makes you happy and makes you feel like you're contributing in some way? Um, so I just, yeah, perspective, I think is really important. And don't forget, everybody, she sent a resume. She mailed a resume <laughs> to Brooks. So I, do I the thing. I don't know if they know that. You know, I'm like, I, did it make it? Did it get through? Um, <laughs> Who opened that envelope? Yeah, I am curious. So. <laughs> oh, so good. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for doing this. And best of luck with your recruiting. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, thank you. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing your story. Best of luck with coaching. You can find Amanda on Instagram. She's Amanda Eccleston 1500 over there. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 You can follow Sandy Boy Productions, sandyboyproductions.com. And make sure you check out my parenting podcast. It is called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And putting out episodes there every single Tuesday. And this week's episode is actually with a runner. Her name's Kelly Warner. And she just wrote a kid's book called Anxious Annie. And we break down what obsessive compulsive disorder is and anxiety and how to identify those things in our kids. It's a great episode. It felt like therapy to me. And I'm really grateful for Callie and everything she had to offer over there. Again, that podcast is called Why Is Everyone Yelling? All right, friends, thanks for being here today. We have another episode tomorrow. This is our third week of double episodes. Next week will be the last week of the double episodes. So I hope you've been enjoying this series with some 1500 meter and miler runners uh, as we get excited about that Under Armour All Out Mile. Don't forget to sign up for that. UAAllOutMile.com slash I'll Have Another. All right, we will see you tomorrow with an episode with Shalane Flanagan and Brad Stolberg. Have a great rest of your day.